is the Under Center Podcast. On the Dynamo Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Under Centre Podcast. I'm your host, Dara Marr, and I'm joined by two of the three biggest office fans there is, Fionn Malloy and Jake Woolhead, and I'm the third. So lads, how are we? Doing pretty well. Two TV references on the first, uh, on two shows this week, so that's pretty good. Um, I am a huge US office fan and a UK office fan, so that rings true for me. I am purely US office. I thought the English one was a load of shite. <laughs> well, I got introduced to the office through the US one, and then I had to go back to watch the UK one. So I think that might have been spoiled for me a little bit after watching the US one first. The first episode of the UK and US one nearly match each other word for word. It's so strange. Oh, yeah. Pretty much the whole first season, I think, definitely yeah. does. Um, and then they just went on their own on their own route, which ended up just being fantastic. And, you know, Ricky Gervais just ha- is just loving the amount of money in his back pocket because of this. But anyway, it, once again, we are not a TV show. I promise you this. I know it's two TV references in a week, but we're not going to keep going on with that. We are an NFL show. And on today's show, we are going to be continuing our off-season series. And we are talking about the Las Vegas Raiders. And on the show to talk about the Raiders off-season is Heidi Fang of the Las Vegas Review Journal. Heidi, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me on. And I'm really I'm excited to be with so many Office fans. I'm currently re-watching it as well. The pandemic did that to me. So I'm on season six now of my second viewing through The Office. Nice. Uh, I think once... I must be four, four re-watches through at this point. <laughs> In this pandemic alone. Uh, Get you it, through it for sure. It is definitely that show from in my house where if there's nothing on the TV or you're not doing anything, it's just on in the background. It's just always playing through the whole time. The, we the have to remind thing. everybody we are not a TV. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think we could get an office episode out of this. We'll see. It might be good. But uh, before we actually do get into the show, if you are watching this on YouTube, if you can, can you please uh, like this video and subscribe to the Dynamo Podcast Network, because that is where you will find our podcast each and every time we upload a new video. If you prefer listening to the audio version of the show, just do the exact same thing. Just search Dynamo Podcast Network wherever you get your podcasts, and that's where you'll find our show each and every time it's uploaded, as well as some other fantastic podcasts for uh, wrestling fans that are retro movie fans, if you like that too. You know, comic books, uh, the round football, we'll call it here. That's also up there too. So just have a look there, and you'll find theirs as, as well as so many other great podcasts. But let's talk about the Raiders, and let's start with the move to Vegas, actually. And uh, Heidi, I want to know, how has the move gone down over the last year? Because I actually was in Vegas around 2019 when it was announced it was our last year in Oakland. And people, especially around Vegas, were very excited about having the team uh, move to the desert. Yeah, it was very exciting going through the entire process. Not so exciting in the five days I spent up in Carson City where all of the legislature went through. (laughs) That was rather the dull part of it. But once I got into the move itself and they started seeing the stadium come to fruition, the whole city was really excited about that. But once the pandemic hit and we heard that there would be no fans allowed, it kind of brought a damper 
over the last season. I know a lot of people had anticipated you know, gracing and christening the stadium, if you will, and that didn't get to happen. And for the players in the first season here, I know it wasn't what they expected. They were looking forward to having the hoopla and all of the fanfare and the you know big welcome to Las Vegas type game. And that really didn't happen. They had their big home game. Uh, I can tell you there were no more than 20 people in the stands that was myself and 19 other photographers <laughs> so it wasn't what everybody had hoped and I'm looking forward to see how this year pans out as well, I heard in an interview that I had with Bill Hornbuckle who's the CEO of MGM and also a part of the board of directors on the stadium board for the Las Vegas and Allegiant Stadium uh, he had said that he's anticipating a full stadium come July so that these restrictions will be lifted, that we'll be able to have more mass meetings like this. I don't know how the procedures will go about, but that was the hope. And I think yesterday uh, the governor of Nevada somewhat reaffirmed that when he said that they were lifting a lot of the mandates with social distancing and all. So that is giving a lot of promise to a 2021 season that should have been what the 2020 season was thought to be, thought to have had. And that Raider Stadium is absolutely beautiful as well. It is stunning. Well, that's one question I want to ask as well is, does anyone know what the air conditioning costs are going to be when it's packed <laughs> full of stands having a jet black stadium in the midst of the desert? It must be astronomical to cool that thing down. <laughs> you know, that's a great question. And it's probably very astronomical, I'd imagine. And then on top of that, you know, they're keeping the field underneath in a turf tray so so that it doesn't dry out because as you know if you left it out and you know with the the elements and what have you just touching it i'm sure it would kind of crumble out and not be what they want it to be the pure green bermuda seeded turf <laughs> that comes out on sundays so yeah it, it's gonna be probably rather uh expensive i can't imagine yeah, lady <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead, Jake. Heidi, I, I was just reading, you, you mentioned the fans and the big welcome to Las Vegas. The one thing I had read and one only criticism about being in Las Vegas is it's such a tourist spot that having a home crowd might be a bit more difficult than having like a, your typical home crowd, the, the Las Vegas black hole um, at the end in the end zone. So is there any fear or any, any thoughts about uh, how the stadium is going to be based and, and how filled with tourists basically it, it could be? Uh, yeah, you know, the benefit that Las Vegas has is it is a tourist destination. And uh, it's one thing for me I've noticed right away when I moved here is it was very transient. And now you're starting to see, though, L.A. people that had the Raiders there when the Raiders spent the, you know, decades or so there that they are able now to go, hey, that's a quick drive for me. I can go up there, see a game four hours, head home that night or enjoy the city if I'd like. Uh, for fans in the Bay Area, it's closer to a nine, 10 hour drive or so, but uh, it, it's still doable on flight, an hour flight in, an hour flight out, lots of affordable options as well. So I, I figure that it will be easy to fill being that it is so close to where the home fan base is. And then fans will want to see it as well, because like you said, it's just a beautiful stadium, very pristine. I, I can't wait to see what it looks like with fans in it, what it sounds like, how the acoustics differ, just different things that you can't, you can't match without having a crowd there. So it's something that I'm looking forward to seeing. And I think that they'll have no problem whatsoever with their personal seat licenses that they had already had in place. Those sold out. So I'm sure that they have no problem getting the packed house that they want when it comes time for the football season. Definitely for sure. And there was an interesting, 
uh, thing that happened throughout the the last season as well because it was an empty stadium. The the owner Mark Davis refused to go to home games because if he said that the fans couldn't go, he wasn't going to go. Yeah. And we'll see that, you know, he lifted that for some of the away games. I saw him in Los Angeles. I saw him in Carolina and I saw him in New England. I don't know that he would do it for uh, the home. Like you said, he was sticking pretty true to that. Uh, I think, though, this season it's going to be a full house. And I don't think we'll have any problem with Mark Davis attending. But I like that he did that. He showed a solidarity with his fan base. And I think that resonated with them. Yeah, and getting into the football side of things, just a quick review of the 2020 season because they made a strong start with a going six and three in the first nine games, including winning at the Chiefs, but then sort of going two and five for the rest of the season and missing out the playoffs. The team seemed to run out of steam. Yeah, and something that they're going to have to correct and figure out definitely is how to get over that hump because it's the second season in a row actually where they've been at that same mark. So you start looking at it in this season and a lot of people had said, this is going to get easier for them down the stretch. And, and the thought was, okay, they're going to face a winless Jets team. They got past them, but just barely. <laughs> it, was, it was a nail biter of a game. And then you go on and on and on and see the mistakes that happen in other games that they should have won and defense allowing many more yards than they should have to have had the, the, the result they should have come at a certain one. So I think when you started looking down the stretch, there was some coaching that could have been fixed. Uh, a lot of times when they're kicking for field goals and getting three points, as opposed to going for the touchdown to get six points, a lot of people questioned that and said, why not go for the jugular? Why aren't you going for the six points instead of you're going for the safe three, which turned out in a couple of cases, not to be the way to go. Ooh, Guinness. Sorry. I, I digress. But <laughs> <laughs> We're actually trying to get a sponsorship at the moment where, we're putting out good energy to try and get a few uh, a few cases over. If you know of anybody in Guinness, we. <laughs> well, it is lunchtime here. Yeah. I don't have a cold Guinness ready, but uh-huh. I do have. <laughs> I got some beer signs in the freezer. <laughs> I just need a cool Guinness to pour into it. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're yeah. just we're just trying to sly product placement here at the moment, <laughs> so just yeah, so they know us. We're inceptioning sponsorship. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, to answer the question though, sorry, I digress. I saw Guinness and yeah, uh, you know, you, you get through it and you start thinking, well, what do they do? And I think it's a lot of those calls that need to change and also some more red zone efficiency and how they do that and come up with better game plans and, and better plays to try to get those six points as opposed to the three uh, when they need it. That's going to come from the coach's mindset and then the personnel that they have on the field. So I'm curious to see how that works out in this coming season. Heidi, just to kind of follow up on, on where we were going with that question, obviously you mentioned some of it's on the defense, some of it's on the coaching. Of course, quarterback by way of their position also gets some heat for when teams underperform. In your opinion, Gruden obviously has that massive contract and we spoke about it a little bit last week thinking maybe that was a little bit of a, a publicity stunt, maybe that 10-year, 100 million is a, is a lot of money. Who do you think's on a hotter seat at the moment? Is it Gruden or is it Carr based on how underperforming definitely last season, but maybe you could argue over the last few seasons the team has been? I think it would be on Carr more so than Gruden, just because I don't think that, one, the front office has any intention of removing Gruden at any time soon based on the money that they have guaranteed him. So when I think about it, I put Carr in that seat more so than Gruden just because of the circumstance. But with Carr... 
the fan base has always had this love hate with him as it is and so when uh, he he has uh, a stinker of a game they're more likely to start throwing the rotten tomatoes at him than they are to Gruden though I'm I'm starting to see more of a fair share between the both of them but uh yeah I would lean with Carr just because there's been some questionable times when he's fumbled up the ball or when he's thrown the ball away on a crucial down when he could have tried to make something of it even if it comes up you know a bad play at least he tried to make that play so i think that's more so what the people want to see from him than uh the nice safe uh catches if you will sure he's got great numbers but when you're talking about on a moment of a game a very pivotal moment what's he going to do is he going to cough up the football or is he going to try to make a play and do the, everything that he can in his power to get that six point scored and that's where I think in decision-making, sometimes we've seen the latter. So that's where I think a lot of people are having issues with him. And I think that's why he would be more so in the hot seat. I think he, like Derek Carr is well known for, so used to being able to have a bit of hero ball in him. But if you were to ask me of like, so one thing I remember from Derek Carr, and I think he's done it multiple times now, is fumbling the ball through the end zone. And that's just like a typical Derek Carr memory for me. And I think for me, he's definitely in the hot seat. Like for Fionn's question, he's so much more in the hot seat, much to his, his brother David Carr's dismay on Twitter, apparently. <laughs> Yeah, his brother will always get out there and defend him, that's for sure. Uh, there's the whole car army out on Twitter that I'm sure if they're watching this now, I'm, I'm not saying that a car is, but if they are, they're saying, oh, let's block her. <laughs> She's talking crazy about our brother. <laughs> uh, that could happen. But, uh, you know, uh, I, I have faith that this being now the third year that he and Gruden have worked together going into the fourth, that the two of them are going to be able to scheme a lot more. I think that there's so many intricacies with Gruden's offense and learning it than the offensive coordinators that Carr's had, the injuries that he's had. He's had it rough in the time he's been in the NFL when it comes to all the different kinds of changes and the roller coaster that he's had to vibe with. And so when you look over all those different things and take them into consideration, I think last year was a good showing for him but I feel like this year is really going to bring out everything that he has whether it's bad or good we're going to see it all in this year because I think one thing I'm going to give him already as an out is he had developed quite a relationship with Nelson Aguilar and now he's gone so it's how does he work with the new guys that are coming in like John Brown that they signed in the offseason who's going to develop that rapport with him this year on the wide receiver side will it be Henry Ruggs will it be Brian Edwards these are two guys with big question marks around them right now that many people want to see more results especially from Henry Ruggs being a first round pick so we'll see how they develop in this offense we'll see if they can stay healthy and if they can then these are going to be people who need to really step up and to this offense to be able to have a productive season with Derek Carr and to build the chemistry. It's definitely none of those guys. It's definitely Hunter Renfro is the guy yes. now going forward. He's going to be the guy. But speaking of changes in the John Gruden system, a big change that we've seen in this offseason is the amount of old linemen that have left the team. Uh, Rodney Hudson went to the Cardinals, Gabe Jackson's gone to the Seahawks, and Trent Brown went back to the Patriots. Now, the O-line coach, Tom Cable, I have, uh, I, I'm aware of who he is because I'm a Seahawks fan, so I know of his past history. So 
the Seahawks are the the Seahawks time of Tom Cable was rife with issues, you could say. Um, because I think he tried to make sure that Russell Wilson was one of the most sacked quarterbacks in in the league at the moment. Is there any? I don't know. I don't know if you've heard anything about it before, but is maybe coaching an issue? Why there's been a lot of changes on the old line? Because these are really, really good players, and I couldn't see why they'd want to leave. The only reason I can come up with is the salary cap. So each team has the salary cap and this year is much lower than it has been in the past. And with the guaranteed money that were on the contracts of Trent Brown, of uh, Rodney Hudson, Gabe Jackson, they were able to free up a lot of money to be able to bring in some new players and also help their defense. So that's the only thing that I could really see because obviously with somebody of Rodney Hudson's caliber, you don't want to lose a surefire center who's been one of the best protectors in the league and who really has been uh anchor if you will for this team over the past years so i think that overall it was more to do with money and maybe restructuring contracts and these guys weren't really willing to do what was necessary to have uh less money in 2021 and you know if you can go out while you are still a, a good shape and peak of your career go earn that money. I'm not going to say or tell anybody else. Otherwise, you know, I think I would have done the same in that position. If you can make $8 million or $2 million, uh, you know, which one is it going to be? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But you that know? I was just going to say that, yeah. but you were mentioned about the, the relationship that Derek Carr is going to have to have with his wide receivers. He's now yeah. going to have to establish a brand new relationship with a brand new center too. And in another season where it looks like we're going to get another virtual offseason where a lot of teams not taking part in the voluntary OTAs. We don't know about how much preseason training we're going to get again this year. It's going to be very difficult to establish that situation or that relationship if they don't get time on the field together. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And it's still a question mark of who is the right tackle. That's a huge one. Uh, who's going to be uh, playing guard full-time? That's another one. We know that they drafted John Simpson. Uh, they have Denzel Good. He's a great versatile piece. But when you start thinking of who are the starting five, you can put your finger on two right now. And that's concerning for, I think, a lot of Raider fans. And like you said, talking about Tom Cable, how much Derek Carr will stay upright. That's huge. So um, you look at the center and Andre James, that seems to be who the Raiders are favoring there. Uh, they say they have a lot of faith in him. Now, they said the same thing about Darren Waller when we hadn't seen much out of Darren Waller in the 2019 season. And then he comes through and has a huge 2020 campaign. So I think that they know their team. They know the players. They have a lot of faith in certain spots and we're going to see how that pans out um i think though john simpson uh he's somebody i'm actually going to speak with in a couple of days i'm really excited for that uh you know he's going to have to step up huge and, and he's said that he knows that there's a lot of things that he has to correct in his game so uh, that's something i'm curious to ask him about and then you go over the rest of the steps and i think colton miller is probably the most solid piece that you have and the rest will have to come through the nfl draft yeah. And you spoke about some of the additions. There's one addition that I want to speak about as well is Kenyon Drake, who was signed on, on a two year deal. Um, and it looks like, well, Josh Jacobs, obviously in his two years, he's had uh, two 1000 yard years with the Raiders so far, which has been fantastic. But 
are we going to maybe see more of a Cleveland Brown sort of style offense now with the Raiders going forward where they have the two running backs that can both take up an equal amount of uh, share and maybe take the pressure off Carr a little bit so he can maybe play more of the play action um, or he doesn't have to throw it as much and maybe is not, like you were saying, in danger of not staying upright as much. Yeah, I think that's a great plan. And I think that's something that Gruden's utilized in a couple of his really great teams when you go back to the early 2000s with the Bucks and the late 90s with the Raiders. So that's, I think, a formula that he's shown and that has worked for him and his offensive systems. So I think that that's definitely a plan for Kenyon Drake and Josh Jacobs and as well as keeping Josh Jacobs healthy. Because when you look at the careers of running backs, it's brutal. These guys, by the time they're 30, can't run the same anymore. Frank Gore is something of a freak when you start thinking about it uh, over time and how he's progressed and his career that he's had and the longevity. That's not everybody. So the average running back, 29, 30 years old, that's when everything starts going down hill so to preserve Jacobs for as long as you can to see what Kenyon Drake is capable of in third down situations passing down situations that's really where I think he's going to be key as well as goal line situations when you're in the red zone so I feel like they have now a really good dynamic in the backfield and then you have pieces like Theo Riddick and Jalen Richard as well as Alec Ingold who can all chip in in, in certain different ways and throw looks off balance that they people aren't expecting when they need it so they've got a really dynamic mix in that backfield and I'm very curious to see how that shakes out and sticking with the positivity a little bit you guys must be really excited to get a guy like Yannick Ngakwe over in the free agency we were talking to uh, uh about the, the Baltimore Ravens earlier in the season and we we heard that that was one of the guys that they really wish they could keep and again was one of the cap casualties you've already talked about uh, so you guys must be really excited to have him in the building Yeah, I think he's going to be a difference maker for the defense. There is something that the Raiders have been needing for a while, and that's a veteran presence. Uh, I don't think that he is the guy right now as far as being a massive veteran presence that's going to take all the younger defensive players and really hold them underneath his wing and say, hey, guys, I'm here for you. I don't think he's that type yet. But what I do think he brings is a great knowledge of Gus Bradley's system, and that's going to be really imperative for the Raiders defense to have somebody who can be that cornerstone that's already had experience in his system. So for what it brings also to the defense is somebody who is really a true edge setter on the defensive inside because they haven't had that. They haven't had that. They've had people who can efficiently hold off (laughs) any push, but not anybody who can push. So uh, to get that defensive pressure that they've been needing. And I think that's going to be huge. They really have needed to garner some pressure somehow to create situations that make other quarterbacks uncomfortable. Um, And that's something that they've needed. And I think Yannick Ngakwe is definitely going to be a part of that and bringing some pass rush to the Raiders defense. Yeah, and looking ahead now to the draft in a couple of weeks, um, they have uh, eight picks this year. What positions would you like the team to sort of address in the early rounds? Um, definitely safety. Uh, the you know defensive back position is something I think that they've been lacking. They have re-signed Carl Joseph. They do have Jonathan Abram. But I really think they need a key 
free safety in there. Um, somebody who can just be an every down kind of guy or more, more reps than the others, as you would say. So I think that they need somebody out there um, that can play that position for Gus Bradley, as well as tackle on the offensive side, uh, right tackle, as I mentioned. But what's interesting to me, and I don't know how much this could come into play is that Colton Miller was originally a right tackle and then moved over to left. So I'm wondering if they look in the draft at all for somebody who's more of a natural left tackle, or if they leave Colton Miller there, but I would think they leave Colton Miller there because they know what he can do there now. And he's built himself into that position pretty well. And he's very solid at it. So I would think right tackle would be the way to go. So yeah, those are the two right off the top. They have 17 and 48 and a couple of third round picks. I believe 79 and 80, if I remember right. So I would think with those, the first two, you would go safety and offensive tackle. Not sure in which order, because it depends on how things shake out. But I would think you would want to solidify the safety spot first. Yeah, and, and looking ahead to the start of the, the 2021 season, um, the Raiders are due to be playing the NFC East and the AFC North. So some interesting games definitely coming. And of course, we have the 17th game. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on the extra uh, regular season game now starting this year? I like it. I prefer it more so than a fourth preseason game. So instead of four preseasons and 16 regular, they're going with three preseason games and 16, uh, 17 excuse me, regular games. So I, I feel like the fourth game was always a way for the coaches to get a final evaluation of anybody trying to make the team and nobody wanted to watch that. So if you're talking about the biggest sport in America where people and all over the world, right? So you're talking about the biggest sport. Well, I, I guess, you know, football probably wins when you talk about all of it. Anyway, we'll, we'll debate that another time, but when we get to it in American football and then you see, you know, that final game and it's the biggest sport here. And, you know, you're trying to maybe sell commercial dollars that pay these giant salaries. Well, I don't think that anybody wants to watch who's vying for the third position spot on the defensive line. You know, they want to see who is going to, uh, you know, get to the Super Bowl and how that path starts. So that would start with having a 17th game. So I love it. I think it's great. I like the way that they're going to shake it out. AFC gets the first dibs on having that extra game than NFC the next year. So I think it's going to balance out pretty well for everybody and you know it's uh, more stakes higher stakes i like it yeah it definitely seems to be a love-hate relationship the fans love the uh, 17th game and all the players just hate it oh. um for, for sure and you can understand why but i think obviously a lot of players were saying that they wanted the second bye week and i think that'll come whenever they add the 18th game which will probably come sooner rather than later as well so i think that's why they were saving the uh, second bye week because i think i i read a report before that i think they want the season to finish mid march so they want to keep it going as long as they can and look as long as i don't have to wait six months for between seasons i'm all for you know, these six months are killer. You know, I know the draft and free agency is fun, but no, I just want to see football. I don't, I don't want dull stories. <laughs> As a fan yeah, of like, yeah. a fan of like one sport, and now the, the F1 maybe a little bit, I definitely don't want to be waiting six months in between matches. <laughs> yeah, that's something. Yeah, I actually uh, used to do a little F1, not racing or anything, but just editing it. It was really, really interesting stuff. <laughs> I yeah. got involved nice. with it a little bit back maybe 12, 13 years ago. It's all it's all the uh, that the Netflix series. That's what got everyone interested in that. 
that's what it got me interested in it again for sure it was that drive to survive and i think that's what everyone but uh heidi before we let you go uh where can uh, people find your work uh, and if they want to follow you on twitter yeah on twitter i'm at heidi fang and then vegasnation.com is where all of the uh the articles are with the raiders videos everything today i'm getting a special behind the scenes tour of the raiders headquarters so that will be put out uh i don't know how many other have been invited but i feel like i'm special right now (laughs) i'm excited to go and get a behind the scenes look and they're going to show us around and i'm going to have that video up uh and then takeaways is the name of my raiders podcast and you can find that also on vegas nation and it's free so make sure to go in there take a listen hit subscribe there we go. So once again, this is finished sponsoring our podcast. You can sponsor that podcast there as well because you've got the, the perfect colors anyway set up for it. So you, perfect you're, for you're all set. <laughs> Thanks so much for taking the time to speak to us today. We really appreciate it. And uh, we hope that we can uh, speak to you again, if not before the season starts at some point during it. I'd love it. Thank you so much for having me on. And I really enjoyed it. And have a great day, guys. Thanks, Eddie. Thank you very much. Today. So stay tuned because we are not done yet. In a few seconds, we are going to be talking to Joe Miller from the Overreaction podcast about the Buffalo Bills. Welcome back to the show. And I am still joined by two of the most style and profile and limousine riding, jet blinds, kiss stealing, wheeling and dealing son of a guns, Jake Woolhead and Fionn Malai. Guys, how are you? I don't think anyone in, in years has called me wild and styling. So thanks very much for that. I may be a little going red now for that, but I'll take the compliment where I can get it. My hair, my hair at the moment with the quarantine over here, it's looking pretty close to where it needs to be for that kind of introduction. There you go. Well, Jake, you said no one's, no one's called you styling in a while. So someone has actually called you it before. I'm more surprised I used to be a man at one point in my life. There's many points, you know. <laughs> That's that's before you decided to start getting hit for a living by playing yeah. football. Uh, but look, listen, on the show today, we are continuing our off-season series and we are speaking about the Buffalo Bills. And on the show to talk to us about the Bills off-season is, Ma- is the man with probably the greatest voice we've had on this podcast so far. And that is Joe Miller from the Overreaction Podcast. How are you today, Joe? I am doing great, and I hope that I can live up to the hype of the sound of my voice. <laughs> nicknamed The Voice, obviously. Also, yeah. yes, nicknamed The Voice, yes. It's great to be here. Thank you guys for having me. This is awesome. No problem at all. No problem at all. We're looking forward to hearing from you about the Bills. But before we do get into the show, if you haven't already, could you please like this video and subscribe to the Dynamo Podcast Network on YouTube, because that is where you will find our podcast each and every time we upload something onto up onto youtube i should say if you prefer the audio version make sure you go to anywhere you get your podcast and just search for dynamo podcast network that's where you'll find us subscribe follow and you will be notified when we get uh when we get a new show updated because we've got three shows coming out this week so definitely keep an ear out for all of them also this show could have been brought to you by guinness if they would sponsor us there's still time, Guinness, for you to reach out and let us know. We are here with our drinks today. Just here we I didn't get the logo. You got to get the logo, man. Sorry, sorry. The product placement was off. And I'm hiding the logo till they sponsor us. When, oh, they add, good plan, when the sponsors good plan, come good in, that's when the logos start showing. Until then, I am drinking unnamed stout. <laughs> that's what it's called. Could be Beamish, could be Guinness. Who knows? could be it could be one of those like uh like craft ipa beers or whatever you know like milk stout or 
like dark chocolate stout or whatever, whatever they're called. But let's talk about the bills because unfortunately this isn't a beer podcast. That's for later on in the week. And Joe, I want to start with a brief overview of the 2020 season, making it to the conference championship and winning the division for the first time since 1995. It was some Mm. year for the bills. It was some year for the Buffalo bills. That's right. We partied like it was 1995 for sure. (laughs) Uh, And just in case you guys don't know this, Buffalo recently got ranked like number one in the NFL for a fan base of like alcohol consumption on Sundays. So Bill's Mafia is right there with you guys, (laughs) right there with you. (laughs) But no, it was a fantastic year. I mean, it was uh, I called it basically throughout the season on my podcast, the overreaction sports podcast. I called it wildest dreams land. Like literally, you know, we went into this season with this idea of what the bills were going to be the step that Josh Allen was going to have to take, uh, you know, and the idea that, you know, if if he doesn't progress and he just plateaus is plateau regression, because by and large, when you're a young quarterback year two to year three plateauing at year three is not great. Uh, We, we, you know, we had an idea of what we wanted. We wanted to make the playoffs. We wanted to win the, the division. The division was kind of the goal winning a playoff game after that was kind of the goal. And as I told my listeners, you know, we are living in a, just another world. Like this is literally wildest dreams land just to see Josh Allen come out and do what he, you know, Hey, by the way, you've got a quarterback that's never thrown for 300 yards. Well, he comes out first you know, week one, 300 yards week two against the dolphins. He throws for 420 or 419 or something like that. And it was just like up until the time that he got hurt against the Raiders, it, it was just like, there was nobody that could stop him. And then once he got kind of healed from that, that, that left shoulder injury, that's when you get into Robert Sala and the befuddled look on his fake face, the Vic Fangio from Denver, the, the befuddled look on his face, Pittsburgh, the, the befuddled look on their faces. Like it got to the point where like even Belichick, they were just like, we don't have an answer for this kid. Like, what do we do? Like Belichick was putting six defensive backs in the field against Josh Allen. Like, think about that for seven, six or seven defensive backs. Like that, that just basically means don't throw the ball. Please don't throw the football. And he did. And he threw it a lot and he threw it well, like it was an incredible year, but where is there a specific place you want to go uh, in, in regards to the season? No, it's just a, a brief overview at, at the season as a whole, because yeah. it, it was like that. You guys made it to, to the playoffs the year before. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. you lost uh, that close game against the Texans and, it's just that the year on year progression we've seen with the relationship between the head coach and the offensive coordinator and now the quarterback too, you know, it's just keeps going up and up and it doesn't look like it's going to stop anytime soon. Right. No, it's uh, this is going to be an interesting year. It's because there's this, there's this overwhelming feeling uh, inside of Bill's mafia. And I think even around the NFL, you know, Josh Allen comes out of, out in the draft and I didn't want him. I wanted Josh Rosen. And I'll admit right now that I was wrong. Josh Rosen just we have we have been in quarterback purgatory so long that there was no world where I wanted like this project kid that it was going to be like, well, he's going to be really good in three years. It's like, I don't want three years like, you know, we made the playoffs year one with McDermott and Tyrod Taylor. Like, let's keep this kind of mojo rolling. Give me somebody that's a little bit finished. I can't get Darnold. I can't get Baker. You know, bring me somebody that's kind of ready to play. And the reality is, is there was, there was two camps, either people loved Josh Allen and his upside, or he was just trashed in the NFL and by everybody. And that, that camp, the latter camp was by far and away much larger than those of us that ended up in the Josh Allen. Hey, this kid might be good. He's hurtling guys and he's doing things that like other quarterbacks don't do, or if they do it, their last name is Mahomes, right? So like, let's see what happens. And you know, 
he led the league two years in a row in drop pass percentage. So, and then it turned into like stat manipulation. Like, well, if he, if his guys aren't, if, if Zay Jones isn't dropping 50% of the passes that Josh Allen's throwing him, what's his completion percentage really like? And then, you know, year two for him, the same thing happened. He led the league uh, with drop passes. And then sure enough, you know, they bring in Stefan Diggs. Obviously Cole was here. John Brown is here. This, uh, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, Gabriel Davis is like, it looks like a lights out like draft pick. We've got Isaiah Hodgins who didn't even play in 2020. All that to say this, you know, when you look at Josh Allen, by far and away, the feeling is he's not done yet. Like he's got growth. And that's going to be the question. What does that growth amount to? Because does he look like Pat Mahomes? No. Does he look like Aaron Rodgers? Sometimes. Does he look done? Like, nope, that like he's found a ceiling. No, he doesn't look like that either. So the question is, is like, who's this kid going to be when he grows up? Right. And I just, it'll be, I'm excited. I think, and I think it's good for the NFL. I think that, you know, that the young crop of quarterbacks that's coming up, I think it's really good for the NFL. You guys are all in the NFC. There's not a whole lot of them on your side of the field or on your <laughs> side of the conferences. They're mostly on in the AFC, which is scary for me when you think about it, but uh, it's uh, the, the overwhelming feeling is just that, yeah, we've got something really magical happening. And it's, you know, the question is going to become about continuity. You mentioned it, uh, Dara, just about, you know, Dable and the offensive coordinator and the relationship with Josh and how long we're going to get to keep Dable around. Dable is a Buffalo kid. Uh, he's had a lot of success in new England. He's obviously been to Alabama uh, and now he's found success with us. And, you know, it's just a matter of time in our opinion that he's going to get plucked. We thought for sure it was going to be this year. And that'll be the first big true test probably for Josh, as far as like, you know, after the 2021 season that we're, we're about to see if, if Dable get, does get, you know, a head coaching opportunity, which he should uh, you know, what is Josh going to look like at that point in time when he has to, you know, maybe learn a new scheme or do something different or how they're going to address or approach that and, you know, stuff like that. So, yeah. What I love about him is like, he's a big dude as well. Like he's enormous have been quarterback purgatory. Most other franchises, if they get a guy who takes the leap that Allen did over one season, they're like, Oh Jesus, wrap him in cotton, run the ball 80% of the time, just bring him out. You guys are like, yeah, run over another guy, run over another guy. And I love to see that. That's like typical yeah. Bills when I have in my mind a Bills fan. They're like, yeah, we're going to run him over with you. Like, let's go. Well, and that's our jump, history. That's how Jim jumped, Kelly was. Jim Kelly was the same way. Then. Yeah, jump through a table. <laughs> Jim Kelly was 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 well known for being kind of a quarterback with a linebacker's mentality. When he was when he was uh, brought in, the reason he went to Miami, Jim Kelly, was because every other college that wanted him wanted him to, to convert him to linebacker, and Miami was like, no, 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 we want you to be a quarterback. He's like, I'm going to Miami. Uh, so yeah, that is a kind of a that and the table jumping, obviously, kind of that that stuff kind of follows us everywhere we go. Yeah, you're, and, you're saying, you're, sorry, if you just real quick, you're saying that Bill Belichick put out six defensive backs. I don't want to be a defensive back coming up against Josh Allen. <laughs> that man can run straight through a defensive back. It might have been seven. It was a ridiculous number. It was an unheard of number that, it was, like, when I went went back and watched, I was like, oh my, I'm like I'm like counting in disbelief. I was like, he literally, I think it was seven. He literally did that. Like, yeah, it was insane. Yeah. Cause Nicholas five diamond six, he had seven, he was putting seven guys out there. So he had four down linemen and then seven defensive backs in the field to, to defend Josh Allen at times. It was crazy. But Dara likes us to throw in a question every now and then. So yeah. I'll follow up my comment with a question uh, with the, with the riches that you had last season, mm. what in your opinion is the way for the rich to get richer? If you know what I mean, where should the focus be, particularly on the offensive side? Is it a key, a kind of a, 
a strong running back? Is that where you guys are going to look at to make this offense even more dangerous, given, like you already mentioned, the wide receiver talent you have and how Allen likes to throw it, can throw it, and will throw it, and then when he can't do it, he'll run people over. So is taking some of that danger out of the game and letting the ground game be carried by someone who's who's built to do it or, or wants to do it, uh, is that kind of where you guys are going to focus in the offseason, do you think? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question, and I don't have an answer. I have basically what I, I can tell you what we went through through the 2020 season, uh, and which is anytime a, a, a fan base has been down for so long, when the team starts coming up, you immediately, because of PTSD, you start getting doubts. And, well, this can't, this can't keep going. Like, at some point in time, we're going to have to run the ball. So early in the season, when after Allen hurt his left shoulder, and, like, we got into that Tennessee game, the Kansas City game, and we kind of rebounded against the Jets – like for me, you know, everybody's talking about it. Like we need to run game. We need to run game. And I'm like, no, we don't just be who you are. Line up and punch that guy in the face, throw the ball over the field. And the bills kind of settled into, you know what? We're just going to throw the football everywhere. That's just what we're going to do because whether you want to talk about continuity on the offensive line, whether you want to talk about the running backs, whether you want to talk about uh, the old line them themselves. And we had some doozies uh, this year. A couple of guys were not great. Or you want to talk about the scheme, the run game for the Buffalo Bills just wasn't effective, which is odd because the Bills have always been a very good running football team. We've sucked at the quarterback position. Generally, we've got Marshawn Lynch, Willis McGahee, Travis Henry, CJ Spiller, right? We've got LaShawn McCoy. We've always got a guy that can hurt you on the ground, but we've never had the quarterback. Going into this season, it's funny because it's kind of flipped because we got into the end of the season in the playoffs and all Bills Mafia, everybody was like, yes, throw the ball. Forget the run. Who even cares? And now that it's the offseason, to your point, uh, there's a very big contingency. And it's true that the Bills are going to have to fix the run game in order for the, the Bills to kind of take that next step. They've got to have the ability to do two things, force offensive coordinators to game plan against the run, because right now they don't have to. And they're going to have to have some way to close out football games. There was many times the Bills were up by 14, 17, three score games, and they the back door was open because they would they didn't they couldn't run the ball so they come on they try to run the ball they try to establish run late or in the third quarter and it'll kind of blow up in their face and then like the rams game i don't know if you guys are familiar with that game and the bills are up by 25 the rams come out and put 28 on the bills and the bills have to like win it in the, on the last drive which was a great drive but that's not ideal you want to get up by three scores and then just bury people like that's the idea and there's something to be said for the amount of pressure that it's going to take off of josh allen if they can run the ball effectively, because now the defense is even more on its heels because now they're looking at two things versus one. And I do want to say this, I will monologue this whole entire show. If you don't cut me off. So like <laughs> you guys are going to leave the show going, he's got a, a great voice and he I really love, loves the sound. I of love it. somebody like, who's very passionate about what they want to talk about. Nobody wants to interrupt you. <laughs> yeah, so I'm just letting, I'm letting you know, if you don't stop me, like feel free to butt in. So please do. But you mentioned about the running game. They did sign Matt Breida in the offseason. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And is that a guy? Because like Fionn was saying, about and just looking back at last season, the run game was str struggling. Like Dev yeah. Devin Singletary and, and Zach Moss just they weren't uh, really helping the team at all, push the ball right. forward. I think at times Allen was actually the leading rusher. At, but Matt Breida is more of like, he is an, sort of maybe an outside back. His speed will get away from people. I don't know if he's one of those in the trenches style right. um, bulldozing running backs, but what did you make of that signing? So th there's, there's, there's an interesting narrative around the Matt Breida signing because before we signed Matt Breida, 
there was a, there was a, there was a an infighting amongst the the fan base and and Bills Mafia has not only do we have a very passionate and voracious fan base but we've got incredible alternative content creators so guys that are not a part of NFL Network or a part of the radio station in town there's a lot of guys like me that are passionate about the Bills fans first and we kind of know our stuff and there was a lot of conversation <clears throat> excuse me just about you know, what the Bills were going to do in the draft. Do you go running back 30? What happens if the Bills draft Najee Harris or ETN or one of these guys? Like, what does that do to this team? And it's like, you know, there's a, a contingency of people that are like, yes. And then, then, and then there's other guys who are like, no, you never take a running back that high, which generally I'm in that camp. Like, but when you look at what the Bills have, maybe you could teeter me towards running back. And then all of a sudden the breed of signing happens and everybody's like, oh, fixed it. And I was like, wait a minute. I was like, wait a minute. If it was just that simple, why wasn't everybody chomping at the bit like a, a week ago saying, just go get Matt Breida and the problem is solved. And it was weird for me because as soon as the Bills signed Matt Breida, everybody was like, oh, it was like, like the weight had been lifted. And I'm like, I'm not so sure. He didn't, you know, he, he could not outplay Gaskins in Miami, which concerns me a little bit. Now, is he going to be able to outplay you know, Zach Moss and Devin Singletary, possibly. I believe that Moss and Singletary are probably two RB2s. They're, they're very similar players, a little bit different running style in the hole. Uh, but by and large, they're complementary backs, in my opinion. They're they're not one number one guys. Brita isn't really a number one guy either. So yeah. we'll see. I'm excited because he brings something to the Bills that the Bills did not have last year, which is speed. Uh, the Bills could not get around the edge. They could not run sweep plays. They ran quarterback sweeps because Josh might be faster than them. Like, it was kind of weird. So we'll see. Um, I'm excited about Breida just to see what he can do. I think the Bills are still going to address running back, whether it's in the draft someplace, and we'll find out who comes out in the end, right? I kind of like Singletary. I thought he did. Like, I like okay, he wasn't a lead back for sure, but I kind of like his style. I kind of like in, two, in 2019, Singletary was very good. Uh, the Bills were playing pin and pull on the offensive line, uh, and Singletary found holes, is very good at making the first man miss. Uh, he has made some mistakes, which I think puts him in a situation where the, the coaching staff hasn't trusted him at times. Not mm -hmm. fumbling mistakes, but just like I think he isn't always where he's supposed to be or making the right reads necessarily. Uh, 2020, the Bills went to a wide zone scheme, and neither him nor Moss could get beyond the offensive line. And that isn't all on them. Like, there's a great deal about it. that was that offensive line is not really made to do a wide zone uh, from a run scheme. So I think they're going to go back to a pin and pull this year. Uh, with the guys that they have, uh, I think they're pretty solid. Uh, when you think about who's across the front, Deion Dawkins, uh, why am I losing my mind? Uh, Cody Ford is, is coming back for the left guard. Obviously, Mitch Morris in the center. Uh, and then the right guard, uh, can't think of his name. Anyway, but yeah, and left guard, Daryl Williams. But for me, I think there's going to be some 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 solidif some solidif some continuity there. Those the, the five guys I have up front have not played together yet, uh, which I think is going to be big for this offensive line, especially if they can get a, you know some mini camps in a preseason and under their belt. So, Joe, just on the, the roster management, just uh, how did you feel about the Mitch the Titty Kisser uh, Trubisky trade or signing? Dara, don't don't cut out Floor. Titty Kisser. How did you uh, feel about signing uh, getting um, Mitch Trubisky? Because he, you know, he kind of has a similar enough, obviously not to the Josh Allen level. Otherwise, he would be starting for his current team. Um, do you feel okay as a backup having Mitch Trubisky? Dude, John Feliciano is the right guard, by the way. Um, <laughs> I remembered it. Uh, I would tell you this. I was floored. I remember where I was when that and who I was talking to. Like I was tweeting with somebody when that when that news dropped. And like to me, all that does is speak about where this franchise has come from. When you're talking about like 
Buffalo, the place nobody wants to go. Like, and, and the funny part about Buffalo is it's not as bad as I'm in Buffalo. I live here. Like, and I've lived in Columbus, Ohio. I've lived in Florida. I've lived in Missouri. I've lived in a lot of places. It's not that much colder in Buffalo. It's actually not colder here than it is in Detroit, in Minnesota, in Boston, in Chicago and places like that. We get a little more snow, but you know, Buffalo got, got coined as Siberia. Nobody wants to go there. Like nobody, that's where people go to die. Like at the end of your career, you go there to get your last paycheck and die. And now you've got a quarterback who had a difficult time, you know, his, his, his offensive coach and who, who he had with the bears didn't exactly do him any favors. And what does he do? He takes a backup role in Buffalo for two and a half million dollars, right? Basically to kind of reset his career and kind of get his head right. So two things for me, number one, whoever is in his ear, whoever's mentoring him, whoever's giving him life advice is doing a very good job with him because that's a pride issue. Like, I'm going to take a backup role behind Josh Allen. I'm never going to beat that guy out, but I need to go someplace and kind of reset my life. And the fact that somebody's in his ear versus him trying to push, become a starter someplace, because he probably could get a job as a starter someplace. And then the other part of that to me is, like I said, where this franchise has come from. The, the franchise where players go to die in Siberia versus now the place where players want to be. Like, if I got to reset my career, Emmanuel Sanders coming to Buffalo, like, Guys are coming to guys want to play here and guys, cause they know that the coaching staff is right. The front office is right. The best players are going to play. Like everybody's going to put their heart out. And Oh, by the way, you've got number 17 behind center who is arguably a top three quarterback in the NFL. There's one, maybe two guys better than him. Joe, you had a chance to say the podcast name under center and you missed it. You went with <laughs> center, but devastated. I apologize. <laughs> but it's interesting. You mentioned Emmanuel Sanders because yeah, he's been he's been signed, and you've lost John Brown, John Brown. Uh, this past off season. It's a bit of a, a different type of player that you've sort of because John Brown obviously he has he has the speed to get away from players. Obviously, Emmanuel Sanders at thirty four is probably not going to be running away from players, but he still has you know fantastic he's still fantastic at running routes. So. Mm-hmm. He is going to offer something different. And of course, when you have someone like Stefan Diggs on the other side as well, he will run away from people all day long too. So are we going to see maybe a change in the scheme a little bit um, next season? I don't think so. I, because for me, the bills went from having potentially the deepest wide receiver core in the NFL, maybe behind the bucks uh, to having the best legitimately the best four route runners on the field. When you look at Diggs, Cole Beasley, Emmanuel Sanders, and then Gabriel Davis, there's a word that uh, that Bruce Nolan uses uh, from the Bruce exclusive podcast called verticality. And he agrees with me. And the word he uses is verticality. The bills, despite having John Brown on this team, didn't John Brown didn't run go routes. He ran. That was the surprising part about John Brown coming to Buffalo is he'd been a, a number three wide receiver. Most of his career came to Buffalo and was like, I can run the whole route tree and the bills let him. And then he got here with Diggs, and now you got two guys out there that can run the whole route tree and Beasley who you can't cover regardless. He, I think he's led the league every year for like yards of separation when he's being covered. So Emmanuel Sanders comes in as a more crafted wide receiver from a route running standpoint. And for me, the reality is, is the bills got better. And I've everybody in bills mafia loves John Brown. So don't misunderstand what I'm saying. We love John Brown and he loved Buffalo and wanted to be here. However, John Brown is a number three wide receiver. Emmanuel Sanders has been a number one. So if you're going to put him on the other side of Stefan Diggs with Beasley in the middle, to me, that's an upgrade. Like when you talk about age, where they're at and what he brings to the table, Emmanuel said he just brings something different right to, to the game. Definitely. And moving on to the draft later on this month, Bills have seven picks this year. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't imagine running back, like you mentioned, is not really a first round um, selection. Um, but if you're a Seahawks fan or Seahawks GM, they always go <laughs> running back first round, which is always, <laughs> always, always great. Or they uh, trade back in the first round. They never make a first round pick. We don't have to worry about that for the next two years, though. Thank you, Jamal Adams. Um, but what other positions do you think? Somebody's salty. Somebody's salty. <laughs> no, actually, you, you I, I'm, one, I'm one of those actually was in favor of the Jamal Adams trade. I, I love the fact because they can't make a first round pick. So I kind of, I'm happy with Jamal Adams. <laughs> he's, he's a better first round pick than some of them that they've made in the last couple of years. But looking at the Bill side of things, like what, what other areas uh, are you hoping that they address in the, uh, in the early rounds of the draft? So clearly one of my biggest concerns going into even the 2020 season was QB two. You know, if, if Josh Allen does get hurt, he runs, he plays a risky style of football. They're going to throw the football a lot. So he's out there and he has a potential. Uh, Can Matt Barkley, when you sit, you know, three of six football games, I'm just not sure. So they address that. I think Mitch Trubisky has proven in the NFL, he can win football games, maybe not over a 16 game period, but if he's got to win two of four, three, six, you know, that's what you want out of a backup. So they've done that. Uh, the other, so the other ones are highly contestable as far as, you know, cause you, you can tell me what you think of Jacob Hollister. Right. And obviously he played with, uh, Josh Allen in Wyoming. Is he all the bills need him and Dawson Knox? They're two very similar players in my opinion. So do, do the bills have a need at tight end? They definitely have a need at cornerback too. They need a CB two opposite Tredavious white, uh, Saran Neal just got signed away from Buffalo. So they're probably going to be looking for a big nickel. Uh, even though, you know, Taron Johnson is still here and Taron Johnson came on late in the season. For me, though, if I if you asked me what the greatest needs were, they're, they're going to need help at guard. They're going to need help. Obviously, CB2 is the biggest need, in my opinion. And then it comes down to tight end and then obviously running back. However, however, and this is where it gets weird and we're not weird, but where it gets like debatable. The Bills paid more money last year for their defensive line for their for their the front four that they had and they rotate guys at about 45% 50% of the snaps 50 something million dollars for these guys and they were widely ineffective we're getting Starla Tulele back Mario Addison is gone however two of those guys that they kind of brought in took a lower roster like percentage and and they've come back or lower lower salary cap or lower salary and came back the Buffalo Bills, in order to make Tremaine Edmonds and and Tredavious White effective, the way that in that safety group we have in Hyde and Poyer, they've got to have a havoc wreaker. They've got to have an edge rusher or somebody that's going to be in the backfield, somebody that the, that the offensive coordinator is going to be trying to scheme against. We got to stop that guy, or our day is in trouble. Now, having said that, there is conversation that can be had that with Star coming back. That's going to move Ed Oliver to his natural position, which could put Ed in that what he was pre-draft defined as kind of an Aaron Donald role, kind of a, a penetrating defensive tackle. If he can be that guy with Jerry Hughes, we'll see. But I don't know. So the question is, is are they going to go after an edge rusher? We're, we're pegged on a lot of boards at edge rusher or cornerback to in the first round of that 30 spot. We'll see. They may surprise us. Who knows? I mean, McDermott is a defensive coach, so the defense matters. Yeah, from a few of the drafts uh, or the mock drafts that I've seen so far, uh, one name that seems to be popping up a few times is um, Joe Tyron mm-hmm. who, uh, from the University of Washington. So if they were to go with him, um, would that be a selection that you'd be happy about? 
I'll be honest with you. The draft to me is fun TV. It's fun to watch these guys. Um, I don't get wholly invested in it. And, and, and <laughs> I don't get wholly invested in it because it seems like when I get my heart set on a guy, we don't get him. And then when we do get the guy that I wanted, it's a crapshoot. And it literally, whatever round they're drafted in, there's a good chance. If you draft them fifth overall or 50th overall, there's no, you can't tell who's going to work out. And the Bills have a great example. The year that Kyle Williams, I'm sure you know that name, was drafted. He was drafted in the fifth round. John McCargo was drafted in the first round. Both defensive tackles. The Bills moved up to get him. Well, John McCargo in three years was out of the NFL. Kyle Williams was a pro bowler and is going to be on the wall of fame for the Buffalo Bills. Like, there's just no telling where the, I mean, Alvin Kamara, fourth round. It's like, you just, you just don't know. So I'm, I kind of live in the surprise me. Right. Um, and it's, 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 it's much better to live in that surprise me world. Now, when you know, the bills and, and Brandon Bean are going to go primarily best player available, you know, they've got their board set up. All their scouts have done their homework. How does it match up? Where does it fit? We're just going to take the best guy we can like who's left on the board. That's the best guy. If it's a running back, we'll see if it's a cornerback, we'll see if it's a linebacker, we'll see. The best part about where we are right now is the Bills, outside of quarterback, can fit somebody in anywhere. There's rumors the Bills are going to take a wide receiver. The, you know, Diggs isn't a young pup. Cole Beasley isn't a young pup. Emmanuel Sanders isn't a young pup. We don't know what we have in Isaiah Hodgins. So it'll be, it'll be, it's going to be a fun night. It's going to be a fun draft, but a fun night, uh, round one and round two, Friday night for the Bills. So, it's, and Bills fans. And uh, looking then ahead, to the actual season itself, there mm. is a chance that the AFC East could be one of the more competitive divisions in the AFC next year. But if you look at the Patriots, obviously they've made all the free agents signing, making all the news this offseason, but still question marks about the QB. Mm. Dolphins. <laughs> a lot of them. The, uh, Dolphins, <laughs> another year progression with the coaching staff and those mm. uh, all those players that they drafted as well. Again, a question over the QB. Yeah. And then the Jets are doing Jets things, but they have a new coach. <laughs> and we assume there's going to be questions over Zach Wilson, if that's the person that they end up drafting. So like that, the Bills are the only one that don't have a question on their QB. Mm. So which team would you think would be competing with the with them for the, the title next year? Or did you think they'll have just a straight run at it? Oh man, I want to believe in my heart of hearts that they're going to have a straight run at it. That's the best way to put it. Um, Belichick is building an offense that defenses are not going to want to play. He's rebuilding the Gronkowski. Uh, was it uh, Aaron Hernandez offense that he had with the two big tight ends? You don't know where the ball's going. The question is, is can Cam deliver the football? I don't think so. Oh. Like Cam is broken. There's something wrong there. The Dolphins, you know, they've got two first round draft picks coming in. Obviously, there's obviously there's some continuity there. The question, the big question mark is Tua. And I didn't see enough from Tua in year one to be like, uh-oh. Um, the Jets, you said it, the Jets are doing Jets things. As much as I, man, as much as I have always loved Robert Sala and respected him uh, as, a, as a coach, as a defensive coordinator, and just his energy and the way he like loves his players and his players love him, uh, it was basically his scouting report on Josh Allen that made me just like, what before the bills played Josh Allen or before the, the, the C, the San Francisco 49ers last year played Josh Allen, they were interviewing Robert Sala and about trying to stop Josh Allen. And he basically said, he's kind of a cam clone, cam Newton clone. And the bills run a lot of wildcat. And it was just like, what football team are you watching? Like the bills don't run wildcat at all. Like ever, like Josh Allen is a prolific pass first quarterback in the NFL. And that's the screenshot of Robert Sala. Like, 
uh, on TV where he was just like befuddled. Like, I don't know what to do. Like this kid's beating me up and down, up and down the field. So um, who do I think is going to give the bills a run? It's probably going to be the dolphins. If there's anybody, I mean, you're Zach, he's not going to come in as a rookie quarterback, in my opinion, and light the, light the league up. You know, the, the AFC East has the potential to be one of the best divisions in football prior to 2020. I would have said and did say, as everybody else would have, that the NFC West was probably the best division in football. And let's be honest, the AFC East handled the NFC West pretty well, top to bottom. Like like the Bill, like all the teams in the AFC East did a pretty good job. So you kind of have to wonder, is the AFC East the best division in football? Are they close? So that's a good point. We'll see. I mean, at the end of the day, we're going to find out. So apart from the uh, Hale Murray. Oh, that was the only downside. The Hale Burry was the only downside. I think of the Bills against uh, all the AFC West. What a a joke. (laughs) Also, Joe, you said NFC West, where I I actually think you meant NFC East as the best uh, team. uh, Uh, The (laughs) NFC East is definitely not the the most entertaining division. Yeah, for sure. There's something to be said for the AFC West. The AFC West is going to come around. I mean, that Herbert kid is good. Mahomes is good. You got to like what I mean, I like Derek Carr. Uh, there's 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 a lot of good stuff going on there. The Broncos are a little bit in muddy water. We'll see what the, what happens there. But uh, but yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how the AFC the AFC East pans out, especially versus kind of like their own like with each other like to that point. So yeah, actually that you mentioned Herbert. Like, do you think that now team teams are looking at this draft class and they're thinking right? We'll just draft a Trey Lancer or Justin Fields, you know, mm. take away the top two, the Zach Wilsons and the, the Trevor Lawrence. And we're thinking, right, Herbert was drafted closer to the mid rounds. He right. came in, it was fantastic. So we'll just we'll just draft one of these guys and he'll do exactly the same thing. I think all of them think that. I think, but I think I mean it's the biggest whammy in the NFL draft is quarterback, right? I mean, you're talking about, I mean, if you're gonna rank the 2018 quarterbacks, how do you rank them? Right. I mean, there's names in there that we don't even hear from anymore in Mason Rudolph and some of these guys. Like, meanwhile, you know, Darnold's already been traded, which was is good for him. I'm excited to see what he does in Carolina. It's hard not to like that kid, other than the fact that he was a jet, he was a jet. Like, I can't like him because he's on the Jets, but he's a good kid. Um, you know, Baker Mayfield, in my opinion, is a wild card. Meanwhile, Josh Allen is the best quarterback right now that's come out of that draft, and he was widely panned. It's I don't I don't know what head coaches think or what front offices think. I know that there's a great deal of uh expectation and there's a great deal of pressure for them to find their quarterback. And if they don't find one, they're fired. And if they find a quarterback and he's the wrong guy, they're fired. So there's a weird amount of like not throwing darts at dartboards, but like getting their hearts set on a guy. And the Bills did it for a long time. We did it with EJ Manuel. I mean we did it with a lot of guys, JP Lossman. Like there's a lot of guys we did it with. So I don't know what they think, but you know, we'll see with this quarterback class. I mean there's some good guys out there. Fields is good. Obviously you know Trevor Lawrence is out there. Uh, it, it'll be interesting to see how this quarterback class pans out. I don't, I, I I'm not, a, I'm not a prog, not, I, I don't, I'm not a, you know, I'm not a prophet. I can't tell you who's going to be good or bad. So we'll see. Exactly. And listen, before we let you go, um, where can people find the, uh, the podcast oh. and the socials? So I am, uh, I'm busy. I don't know why I'm so busy. Uh, so my show, the overreaction sports podcast is a Buffalo bills related podcast. And it's basically a fan based podcast. It's not, Probably I, I I'm 
to me, I'm every fan. All I'm trying to do is just bring the emotion of the fan of the every fan to them listening to it in their car or if they're at the gym or whatever. Uh, it's recorded now live on the Buffalo Rumblings podcast network or uh, vidcast network on YouTube, nine o'clock Eastern Standard Time. Uh, and then it drops as a podcast on their podcast network uh, on Monday mornings. I'm also live on the Humpty Hotline. Uh, every Wednesday with Jay Spence, the King at nine o'clock Eastern standard time. Uh, so that's actually the day that we're recording this. We're, we're actually going to be uh, live filming that, but you can find me on Twitter at Joe Miller wired. Uh, if you follow me, I follow everybody back and I won't unfollow you unless you tweet porn. So that's pretty much the rule that I have. So <laughs> whatever your politics, yeah, whatever your politics are, you can have them. You're, um, you're allowed to have your opinion as long as you don't tweet porn. Because I don't want to be like scrolling my Twitter feed and have my wife looking over my shoulder going, what? You know what I mean? Like I can't, or my daughter, like I can't have that happen. So that's a pretty, that's a pretty good rule that I have. So yeah, if you tweet porn, you'll be unfollowed. But other than that, good to go. Joe, I like the way you say that you are the every man and you like to let the passion of the fan come out in your yeah. podcast. I feel like I'm one of those hosts as well because Good. I let these two guys go at each other because they're <laughs> NFC East rivals. And the last few weeks, they've just been debating on whether or not uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to be a decent quarterback for Washington. <laughs> uh, well, Fitz, Fitz uh, we, we, the Bills Mafia has a lot of love for Ryan Fitzpatrick and, and Ryan Fitzpatrick has even come out recently, like in the last year or so and said the best place that he ever played, like his favorite place to have played football was in Buffalo. Um, but Fitz does Fitz things and uh, fit, we say Fitzy going to Fitz. So I like he's to say, I like to say he goes from Fitz magic to Fitz tragic. Quite that's it. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. He, he does Fitz things. So there's times when he's going to impress you and it's going to be incredible. And you're going to be like, Oh my gosh, this kid's amazing. And then there's more times than not when you're going to be down by one possession, five points or six points, and you're going to be driving the field to, to go ahead in the last minute or two. And he's going to throw a really bad interception. And that's where it was for Bill's fans. It was like, we just, this, we can't live life this way. Like the, we, we got to be better than this. So yeah, a lot of love for Fitzy. Good luck with that. <laughs> as a Washington fan, we've been living life that way for the last while. We haven't had a decent quarterback for a good long time. So no, but you you got the next you got the next Bruce Smith in your defensive end though. Holy crap, That's, that yeah, he's, good. Wow, he's gonna be a good player. Yeah, we're excited about that defense. If we can figure out even something vaguely consistent on offense, that's going to give us a lot of help. But yeah, for yeah, sure. Jake, Jake uh, very kindly bet me twenty euros. He thinks the Giants <laughs> oh. sweep Washington this season. <laughs> Absolutely. And if they, if they even Absolutely. lose one game to Washington, I get the money. So it wasn't money. It was a pitcher, a pint, a full like pitcher of beer. It was, beard. It was half involved. a million dollars, Jacob. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't legitimately shake hands with that either. So it was a virtual handshake. I saw it. You know, <laughs> I will pay it out, but it will be a pitcher. It's funny. <laughs> but listen, you guys are awesome. Listen, Joe, thanks so much for taking the time to speak to us today. We hope uh, you enjoy the draft in a couple of weeks, even if it is just. Uh, just show real TV, you know, just drama filled yeah. TV for a, a couple of nights. Uh, we hope to have you on again, if not yeah, your, before the season at some point during the year. Yeah, that'd be awesome. I would love to come back. This was a lot of fun, guys. Excellent. So, so make sure you do uh, check out his show, the Overreaction Sports Podcast there. Uh, make sure you follow him on Twitter as well at Joe Miller Wired too. But that is it from us, guys. Before we go, if you haven't already, can you please like this video and subscribe to the Dino Podcast Network on YouTube? If you prefer the audio version, the exact same thing, go to wherever you get your podcasts. Just search Dynamo Podcast Network. That's where you'll find our podcast each and every time we upload one. But that is it from us on this show. Fionn, Jake, thanks so much for coming on. 
Thanks for having us. Thanks. Go Bills. Uh, <laughs> and we'll be back next week with another show. But until then, uh, stay safe and we'll speak to you soon.